kind of cushion there on third down. And Clifford has to convert it. Looks to find Hamburg deep. He's got a touchdown, Penn State. On second down, in the air and picked off by Bradham. Philadelphia will take over. Hoyer fakes the handle. Hoyer throws. Intercepted. It's picked off by Mika Fitzpatrick. And Fitzpatrick is going to go all the way. Welcome to the SNS Show, presented by Lions Pride. Tom Radio's exclusive talk show for Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and Penn State sports. Staying alive is Holy Cross coming through a free ball over the top of the net. Back to the Penn State, they're set up with the front nine. Caitlin Hoyd slams it down for the kill, and Penn State goes up 2 nothing. Clifford takes a snap, gonna drop back. Has time, fires it over the middle, caught. Dotson, midfield, to the near side 40. 35, near side 30, 20, near side 10, touchdown, Jahan Dotson, all the way to the end zone, 72 yards for the Penn State touchdown. Now, let's send it out to Innovation Park, where Jake Starr and Preston Shoemaker will navigate you through the SNS show here on Com Radio. Back and better than ever, it's the SNS show here in 2020. I'm Preston Shoemaker, alongside me, Jake Starr. And Jake, welcome back to Innovation Park and welcome to a new edition of the SNS show. Excited to be back here. Boy, does it feel good to be back. And man, does it feel like we missed a lot. And there's a lot <laughs> we're going to dive into today. But before we get to that, just a reminder that today's show is brought to you by Lions Pride. Want to look like you belong on the sideline this season? You can when you shop through their downtown State College location. Visit them. At 112 East College, I have a shop online at lions-pride.com. And just a reminder that this semester, if you miss our show live, that's no issue at all. As you can hear us now live on Spotify, if you go to the link in our Twitter bio at PSUSS Show, you can find the link to our Spotify account. Give us a follow there. And if you ever miss a show, you can be sure to catch it up on there. So whether you're listening live on Com Radio right now or on Spotify, we thank you for tuning in today. I just want to say that we've officially crossed the threshold of being not just a talk show, but now we're a podcast. Yes, we're we those, are. We are those guys who have a sports podcast. It's official. You can't call it what it is anymore. We're officially on Spotify. It's a podcast. Very exciting. It's going to be a fun semester. Tons of content that we missed. I feel like we haven't done a show in a year. It's going to be hard. It's going to literally. It's going to be hard to digest through this all. But let's just dive right in and do our best. So let's start with Penn State football here, Jake. Cotton Bowl win. Check that off of the Christmas list way back from our last show. But you got to watch a good portion of that game, I'm sure. I was out here at Innovation Park working the board, and a great call by our own Mitch Stewart, Brian McLaughlin on that. But Jake, what were your takeaways from that game? Penn State was a it was a shootout, a good old Texas shootout down there in Dallas, and Penn State comes out with the New Year's Six win. I mean, first of all, a lot of credit has to go to that Memphis team. They lose their head coach a couple weeks before the Cotton Bowl, and they come out, and they played inspired football. They gave Penn State a run for their money, and as much as we want to talk about the Penn State secondary and how they struggled, which they most certainly did, got to give a lot of credit to that Memphis offense for really coming out there and really playing a pretty good game offensively. Obviously, Penn State's offense, just too talented for Memphis. I think you saw the talent disparity between the Big Ten team and the Group of Five team. You saw that out there on the field on the Cotton Bowl. Got to give credit to Penn State. Really, they dominated that game on the ground. Journey Brown had a great game. Noah Cannon, Devin Ford also found pay dirt. So, 
great game all around for Penn State, and I think there's a lot of positives from that game, especially offensively you can take moving forward. And you look at Micah Parsons on the flip side, dude went off. Dude played like an animal in that game. So there's a lot of positive things that I think you can pull from that Cotton Bowl to kind of drive forward towards 2020 with. Well, look, Micah Parsons was a freak in that game. I mean, just highlight after highlight after highlight. He was all over the field. But how about the Lawn Boys? Five touchdowns on the ground for Penn State in that game. Journey Brown had two. Noah Kane had two. Journey Brown, 202 rushing yards. Noah Kane, 92. Almost got to 100 rushing yards in that one. And then Devin Ford. Forget about him. He had two yards in that game, but he picked up a touchdown. It was a punch in at the goal line. This rushing tandem for Penn State, they're all coming back next year. You thought, you know, somebody's got to transfer. Somebody's going to enter the portal. As of right now, nobody's entered the portal. Nobody declared for the draft. The deadline for that was, I believe, yesterday. So four of these backs, it sounds like, are coming back with Ricky Slade in that mix, too. That's going to be huge for a team that just lost K.J. Hamler and a team that you're looking at a new offense. You're trying to find your guys in the aerial game, but you've got a heck of a game on the ground, and that's what teams are going to have to watch out for next year, and that's going to be something. And you mentioned K.J. Hamler. Let's use that as an opportunity to kind of roll the train forward a little bit this afternoon. And you talk about the impact of K.J. leaving. That's going to hurt. You look at Penn State's receiving core next year, and you're looking at Jahan Dotson to kind of fill that void as that top receiver. And Dotson's a good receiver. He's a guy I like to consider more of a possession receiver, but he's not K.J. Hamler. He's not going to burn defenses deep. So you've got to look to some of the other guys to step up. You've got a lot of young guys. Obviously, Justin Shorter leaves. Maybe Daniel George steps up. A lot of interesting options there. I did see a report today that Ricky Slade did say that he would not be opposed to playing in the slot, which I'm not opposed to. Hmm. Really gives He's a five-star athlete chance to get on the field because, look, he's not going to get many carries in the backfield. But if he can turn himself into a solid slot receiver, I think he can make himself useful on that part. So KJ leaving is going to hurt, but I think there's too many pieces on this team to really feel like feel too down about this team heading into next year. I think everyone's been saying 2020 is the year, and I'm optimistic that it might as well be. Well, I mean, this is the first I've heard of the moving Ricky Slade to the slot, but very interesting. I mean, you just lost a guy that filled the slot for Penn State, and you're going to bring in so much rushing talent. Why not maybe flex Slade into a pass-catching opportunity there? But Daniel George and Jahan Dotson are going to be the guys coming back with Pat Fryermuth. You know, Pat Fryermuth is going to be probably the center point of this passing offense, a big target, poised to have probably his best season yet coming into 2020, a guy that could look to the draft at the end of that next season. But, man, he could be really good for Penn State in the air. Sean Clifford's going to be hitting him a lot, I think, next year. But it'll be interesting to see what kind of talent they bring in, put around Clifford, and try to hit on targets down the field. You can't replace K.J. Hamler, obviously. But I think there's too much talent on this offense to feel discouraged with the product that's going to be on the field next year. Penn State's got six running backs who are going to be on scholarship next year. Six. Outside of Pat Fryermuth, Nick Bowers left, but Brenton Strange is another interesting candidate to really keep an eye out on. And there's a few young receivers coming in. I know there's Jaden Dotson. He's coming in. So, obviously, there's a lot of intriguing candidates to really step up for Penn State. And I do think some of these younger guys are going to be looked to step up. And I think new offensive coordinator Kirk Chiroka, he has a lot of toys to play with. And I think I'm looking forward to seeing how he – plays around with this and how this offense changes under his leadership. We saw what he did in Minnesota. 
the pettiest hire in Big Ten history, as it's been claimed. How did you feel about that? I mean, they bring this guy in. He's coming from a Minnesota team that torched the Penn State defense partway through this year, and James Franklin's like, well, you're not doing that to me again. Come on over, you, you know? You, lo- you love it. You love it. I think it's great. He turned their quarterback into a superstar. Some of those receivers are now day one, day two NFL picks. So I think I think if you're Sean Clifford, you're the biggest winner of this offseason. I think Sean Clifford's going to take a huge step forward with that hiring, and I'm really just excited to see that. So, obviously, how are you going to replace K.J. Hamler? You got the Taroka hiring. Got a few looming things around the program, obviously. But, Preston, you look heading into 2020. Spring ball is still about two months away. What's the biggest storyline you're most excited for heading into next season? I mean, I don't know if this is fair to call it the biggest storyline I'm excited for, but can Micah Parsons pull Chase Young and be a Heisman finalist? I mean, Micah Parsons did so much this year. We talked about how crazy he was in that last game. He's coming into his junior year, likely his last year at Penn State before he leaves for the draft, most likely. But, I mean, what else is there for him to accomplish? He's already gotten all these awards and accolades. His team's going to be real solid next year. A lot of guys on that defense are coming back. Can Parsons be a Chase Young-like defensive guy in the Big Ten and be a Heisman finalist? Clearly, that's a stretch to have a defensive guy be that Heisman finalist. doesn't happen very often. Chase Young was insane. But I don't think it's out of the question to see Parsons maybe do something like that next year. I would be really excited to see how he plays defense for this Nittany Lions team. Next year's the window of opportunity, I think. Sean Clifford's going to take a huge step forward, as I said, under Taroka. I think Micah Parsons is just going to get even better. And I feel like next year is the opportunity for this team to really take that step. You After 2020, you're going to lose probably Pat Frymuth. Micah Parsons probably goes. You're going to lose a lot of talent along that defensive line. I think next year's the opportunity to really take that step forward. And if you're going to compete for a national championship, I think it comes next year. And I'm really excited to see what this program has moving forward. And the experience coming back will be big, too. You know, Clifford, this year was his first year as a starter. He picked up a lot of wisdom along that way. And I think it'll be very big to see what he brings back to the table next year. But with that, we're going to head to our first commercial break. When we come back, a recap of the Steelers and Eagles seasons, as long as a new segment we like to call Stay and Go. You stay here. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right here on the SNS Show. We are stronger. Lions pride. Stand together. Blue and white. Lions pride. Show the world your Penn State side. Lions pride. You're living, you're loving Lions pride. Lions pride, locally owned and operated in downtown State College since 1976, offers everything Penn State for every Penn Stater. At Lions pride, we are Penn State. Lions pride. You're living, you're loving Lions pride. We are hiring. Penn State's Campus Dining is looking for passionate and talented students to join their team. They put student employees first with flexible scheduling and no minimum hours per week so it won't interfere with classes and clubs. Wages start at $9 an hour and there are regular opportunities for raises and advancements throughout the year. Join Campus Dining, the perfect money move for your semester. Visit their website online at foodservices.psu.edu for more information and to apply today. This is the SNS Show, presented by Lions Pride, here on Com Radio. Back here at Innovation Park Studios, Jake Starr, Preston Shoemaker. 
For another edition of the SNS Show, another reminder as we move through today's show that this next segment is brought to you by Lions Pride. Want to look like you belong on the sideline this season? You can. When you shop through their Nike collection at their downtown State College location, visit them at 112 East College Avenue or shop online at lions-pride.com. So, Preston, we're going to move forward now to take a shift of gears from the NFL to the NFL from the college ranks. We're going to talk some Eagles and some Steelers and recap their respective seasons. So, We'll start out with the Eagles. Obviously, we saw the season ended. They were got down to 5-7 and seven with a loss to the Miami Dolphins. Then they went out, won their last four, beat the Giants at home on Monday Night Football, beat the Redskins, had a huge win over the Cowboys Christmas week. Then they came out, final game of the season, and beat the Giants. Made it to the playoffs. Unfortunately, dropped in the first round after what many call a cheap shot from Genevion Clowney into the head of Carson Wentz. And... That was all she wrote as Josh McCown played that game on a torn hamstring. And Eagles only lost by eight. And many say if Wentz didn't get hurt, Eagles might have still been playing that next weekend. Well, two things. One, how does it feel having to play a big game with a backup quarterback? Because, you know, I had to watch a lot of those this year. I but wouldn't really consider many of those games this year a big game. Okay. This is a playoff game that you okay. lost your quarterback Understandable. But you lost your quarterback first few weeks it of the kinda season. S- it, it's not fun losing it's your not quarterback. Fun. That's what I think we can both now agree on. But second of all, let's talk about this clowny hit because I know that you had some really strong opinions about it in the moment. We've had some time. We've we've calmed down. You look back at it. The league did not find clowny. Nothing came of it. Was that the right decision in your mind? No, it was not. And look, throwing a flag on the play or finding clowny wasn't going to change the outcome of the game. Carson Wentz still was going to have a concussion. Obviously, in the aftermath, you would have liked to see Jadeveon Clowney been hit up with some sort of fine or some sort of penalty. I mean, I forget his name, but the Bills offensive lineman got a $48,000 fine for a blindside block, which was a little, it was a ticky-tacky call. But then the NFL comes in and stays silent on Jadeveon Clowney here, which I don't want to say was intentional, but... I mean, the guy didn't lower his head to the last possible second. So, well, and I think I I'm watching this live, and I never felt like, oh wow, that was the dirty hit. Like, yes, it was helmet to helmet. Yes, it should have been flagged. It should have been penalized a little more than what people are talking about. But it, from my perspective, I'm thinking this is a bang bang play. He's running to your right. You know, football instinct kind of takes in over like human instinct in those split-second decisions, and he's thinking, I got to get this guy down. He's moving. Just kind of flings his body at him. Yes, he doesn't move his arms, doesn't try to wrap up, but not every tackle you see in the league these days is a good formed wrap-up tackle. It's a lot of, oh, let me just deliver the blow and see how he falls, and that's not always a helmet-to-helmet blow, but nonetheless, that's still usually a solid hit. I don't think there was any direct intention of I'm knocking this quarterback out of the game early with a helmet-to-helmet hit and we're changing the way that this game's going to go. I never felt that. I know Eagles fans feel a lot different about that at different points. He sh- could have been fined. I think him should have no- been fined. I think him not being fined, I'm not as upset about him not being fined as other people are. Could he- If he was fined, would I be upset about it? Not at all. I think you could have fined him there. You very well. There's a right to say that he should have been fine there, but because he wasn't, I'm not thinking. Oh wow, we got to talk about how in the world was he not fined on that hit? I think the NFL kind of recognized maybe that that was a little instinct in the play, back and forth. You never know what's really going to happen there, and so you can't control that sometimes. That's football. You know, the injuries are part of the game, and 
You hate to see it for Wentz. I mean, we talked all year about how Wentz is the guy. I liked Wentz. I had picked Wentz, I think, as one of my MVP candidates beginning of the year. Didn't turn out that way, but I just, you hate to see it in his first playoff start to see him go down that quickly, but it's part of the game. You play it, and you know the risk when you go into it, and never fun to see injuries. Look, two things. First of all, subtle flex real quick. Back to our beginning of the season predictions. I did predict the Chiefs would make the Super Bowl, so <laughs> just wanted to make sure I make everyone aware of that one. And second of all, back to the hit. I, I watched the hit probably a thousand times at this point. Wentz was, A, giving himself up. B, had another defender on him already. And C, you look at Clowney. He dives, okay? He dives. His chest is up and his head's up. There's no reason at the last possible second to dip your head. You keep your head up, it's a clean tackle, you land on top of him, Wentz is probably okay. But it's that last second dip of the head to drive his helmet into the ground is where I see some malicious intent. And Jadeveon Klein does not have the best history of being the cleanest player either. Oh, sure. Okay. But I just feel like that it was an unnecessary hit. Obviously, as I said before, throwing a flag was not going to change the outcome of the game. But obviously, you wish that Clowney maybe had a better head on his shoulders and that instinct it maybe went for more of the clean hit rather than a bit of a dirtier hit. I don't want to say Seattle's defense has a history of playing a bit dirty, but I do have my suspicions about those Seattle defenses sometimes. It's it's an unfortunate circumstance. You can talk about the hit all you want. Like you said, you can find them later. You can throw the flag. It's not going to change anything. I think my where I'm sitting on this is just there's so much split-second decisions that come in sports, especially in a game like football, where the – multiple milliseconds that it took for him to either dip his head or keep his head up. I don't think there was enough time for him to run through his mind, oh, I'm going to dip my head here, I'm going to drive his head into the ground, and I'm going to hurt this player who's a very big impact guy for this offense team that we're playing against and trying to move on. I just, I don't see that narrative. I can, I see people are trying to build it that way. I never took it that way. I didn't see it that way. I'm not an Eagles fan, so I'm not personally attacked by this situation. So I completely understand why other people would be upset. If Ben Roethlisberger was getting hit right there, I probably would have punched a hole in a wall. So I, mean, I understand. Your quarterback it's this year had his head destroyed by a yeah, swing the, on the helmet. And, and this, I want to bring this up on the air because it's humorous, I think. I texted you after. We were talking after that game, and I think somewhere on Twitter you said, like, or in a text chain with me, you said Clowney deserves the Miles Garrett treatment, and I, I let the I let the smoke settle. And then the next day, I'm like, all right, Jake, you've had some time to think about this. Please admit that that was an overreaction. We can move on from it. And you were like, yeah, okay, it was, it was an overreaction. He should not have gotten the Miles Garrett, but he should have gotten something. He could have. He should have gotten something. John Runyon I can meet you there. Something. And John Runyon's a former Eagle, but we'll see. But we got before we shift to the Steelers real quick. I just want to say. You look ahead to this Eagles offseason, they've got a lot of work to do. And my biggest thing that I've said since they made the playoffs was don't let that late season run, don't let that NFC East championship blind you of the fact that this team has a lot of holes that need to be addressed. I think Howie Rosen made it clear in his press conference after the season that he knows they got to get younger. He knows they got a lot of holes to fill. And I see this offseason as not a rebuilding offseason, but a bit of a retooling offseason. I think they got 10 draft picks. They're going to get younger, and I'm really excited to kind of see what we have moving forward. But, obviously, we'll talk a lot more about the Eagles. We've got the draft coming up in April. We've got free agency in about a month. But let's shift gears and talk a little bit about the Steelers and just talk about, obviously, a bit of an unfortunate end of the season. The Trace McSorley-led Baltimore Ravens knocked the Steelers out of the playoffs in the last game of the season. And, Preston, 
Not the finish they wanted, but I feel like you can't be too disappointed considering the circumstances. Look, I think the best way to sum it up is an 8-8 eight and eight season when you lose your starting quarterback at the beginning of the year. Yeah, that's okay. That's a good outcome. An 8-8 eight and eight season when you are 8-5 and five with three weeks to play is just killer. It's so frustrating. It was such a letdown. Of course, tip the cap to the Titans, who got the job done, Went on a nice run in the postseason, AFC Championship game there. That would have been that sixth seed that the Steelers were trying to sneak into with the Bills having already locked up the five seed. So, as a fan of the game who enjoyed seeing the Titans run, good. That's the right team to be there because the Steelers' offense would not have won a game in the playoffs. I can guarantee you that. But here's... It was just frustrating watching down the stretch. We went to that Bills game. We saw the Bills beat the Steelers, and the Bills looked solid in that game. But their offense didn't blow anyone away. Definitely not. It was the fact the Steelers' defense were the best side of the football for the Steelers this year by far. But the difference was the defense, the games that they would win, it was the defense holding the opposing team to a low enough margin that the offense could beat them. It was never the offense putting points up on the board and letting the defense relax. The defense knew week in and week out for Pittsburgh this year that they were the deciding factor on whether or not you were going to win a game that day or not. Looking into the future, I'm extremely optimistic about this Steelers team if they handle themselves correctly this offseason. What does that mean? You go sign Bud Dupree back. You continue the strength on that defensive side. Ben Roethlisberger steps back into quarterback. The entire offense is transformed, and you use the draft to build a couple of a couple of little slots that we're going to talk draft a lot in the next few weeks, build around Roethlisberger, and bank on the fact that you've got two years, a window, two years, maybe three years, to win a Super Bowl again with Ben Roethlisberger. That's it. You cannot sit there and try to tell me, you know, the Steelers should probably draft a quarterback in the second round this year because ben, Ben's going to be going soon. Drafting a quarterback for Ben after he leaves will not help Ben win a Super Bowl in his last two years. You're getting Ben back. You have to go in with the mindset, our defense is solid. Go after the offense, and let's try to win a Super Bowl with our franchise quarterback before he retires. That's what the front office has to be thinking. I understand you can talk about the Andrew Luck situation. Ben could retire. Ben, something else could happen. You can't bank on what-ifs. You can't say, well, what if Ben changes his mind and retires after the draft? Or what if Ben gets a hit and is hurt? Or what if Ben doesn't come back at 100%? He's projected to come back at 100% on the injury that he had, and the Steelers need to assume and operate under the fact that Ben Roethlisberger will be their quarterback next year and at least the year after. That's what the contract says. That's what he's verbally agreed upon. You're looking at that third year with the option, you know, who knows what will happen. That's a long time, and Ben's going to be getting old by then. But you can't tell me that he need to go draft a quarterback in the second round. That's where I get frustrated. I would much rather see them draft a running back, a receiver, a tight end, offensive line, build around that offense. The defense is there. It was a great year watching this defense. The Minka trade ended up being one of the trades of the year, I think, in the NFL. It was a huge impact for a Steelers defense team and put this team in the position where they were. They were 5-3 and three at home, 3-5 and five on the road, 0-3 oh oh to start out the year. One, they, then they beat the Bengals. Just, it was a disappointing year. 
but you never knew what you could have expected after losing Ben in week two. And just to see the way the defense fought and to see the way things moved on and progressed, there's optimism for the future in Pittsburgh. I think that Roethlisberger can have a playoff run in him one more time. Is it a Super Bowl ring? That depends on what the team does around him because he needs a little help. But you put that help there and they could do it. That's, that's the reaction I took away from the end of this season. Here's what I got. If I told you back in September, after Roethlisberger went down, and you were 0-3, if I said you were going to finish 8-8, eight and eight, you'd probably be Which like... Which I believe you did say. If we were going to continue to tip your cap, I think, you. it, I think you capped the season at 500. I said they weren't going to finish the playoffs. 500 was the best they could do. So, this little humble brag right yeah, there, there again. You but, you would have been happy. 8-8 eight and eight with a backup quarterback after an 0-3 start. That's an 8-5 and five finish of the season. But you always got to put context into the picture. And the fact of the matter is the Pittsburgh Steelers had themselves in a position to make the playoffs. They just didn't. And mm-hmm. really the big reasons why just their offense wasn't good enough. And obviously all credit to the Tennessee Titans who got that sixth spot. And obviously we saw deservingly got that sixth spot. We, we me, you, and Andre watched them dethrone the Patriots dynasty. Yes, we in did. In my basement. I will never forget that day. <laughs> it will always be the day in Jake Starr's basement that Tom Brady and the Patriots dynasty died. Died. And then if you're Ben... I think you got one more. You got one year. This is the window of opportunity. And if you're management, if you're Tomlin, if you're that whole organization, you got one year to put everything in place to make that one more perfect run. Because I don't see after the season. I'm not saying Ben's going to retire, but I could totally see a nice little, you know, after this season, kind of more like a Brady regression, like we saw. But I think if this is the last year they have, and I think they have a great opportunity to go out there and. Uh, Put together a good roster, and we'll see what happens. But obviously, we got to shift gears a little bit, and we'll do our stay-or-go segment. So each week for the next handful of weeks leading up to free agency, Preston and I are going to do a stay-or-go segment. We'll pick probably two, one or two position groups per week, and we'll say which players in that position group on the Eagles and Steelers will be back next year and what player on the Eagles and Steelers won't be back next year. So this week we're going to kick off with quarterbacks and running backs next week, which most likely going to be wide receivers and tight ends, and we'll make our way through the position groups up until the first week of March when free agency starts. So, this week we've got quarterbacks and running backs. So, Preston, how do you want to do this? you just want to go back and forth one player at a time? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so we'll go quarterback first. I'll let you kick it off. Do you, what do you want me to say here? you want me to say Devlin Hodges? you want me to say Mason Rudolph? Or do, do I get to decide what I say? I say, here? you know, you can go, if you're doing it for Penn State, for example, you go Sean Clifford. I say he stays... He's not, he decided not to go to the draft. He'll be back next year. So, this right. is something, oh, so we only got three minutes. So here's what here's quick. what here's what I'll say. Duck Hodges. I think he's. I think he goes. I don't think he did enough. I think his efforts were enjoyed. He was a meme a couple of times throughout the year. Appreciate that. Don't think he's a backup in the future. Ben's coming back. He's going. Okay, I'm going Carson Wentz, and I'm pretty sure we can all agree that he will be staying. Carson Wentz. Played lights out into the season. I think they surround him with some better talent. They all stay healthy. He's got a big season ahead of him next year. And I'll say Mason Rudolph now. I think Mason Rudolph stays. I think the organization was happy with what Rudolph was doing when he came back in the second half of, I can't remember what game that was. That was week, it was a week before the Ravens game. But regardless, he comes back, he's playing well, goes back out to injury. I, I think Rudolph's back is the backup behind Ben next year. Don't need to draft a quarterback just yet. Can't say it enough. Can't emphasize that. Josh McCown was here on a one-year contract. I think he leaves, but I want the Eagles organization to find a way to keep him in-house as some form of an assistant coach. So Josh McCown, I don't think he's back. I think the Eagles go after another experienced backup quarterback. I think he's gone. 
I'll go to running backs. Do you have any more quarterbacks you I want to touch? I got one more. Touch your quarterback. Nate Sudfeld, he's a free agent after this season. He was supposed to be the backup, broke his wrist in preseason. So he had to miss a lot of time, ended up being the third-string quarterback with McCown coming in. I think he goes and tries to find a team where he can latch on as a backup. Running backs, Pittsburgh, James Conner, China Doll. But when he is healthy, he's strong. I don't see him going anywhere. I also don't know if he's going to be the guy in Pittsburgh. We're going to talk about that in the next few weeks. But James Conner, for now, he'll be in Pittsburgh next year. Miles Sanders, easy. He's going to stay. He's going to be the bell cow running back next year. Jalen Samuels, another guy for the Steelers, flexing off and on, coming out of the backfield, catching some passes. He's going to stay. They, no reason for him to go anywhere. Steelers don't have to pay him too much. They can keep him around. I think he's staying. Next up, Jordan Howard. There's really no reason to keep him around. He's going to demand starters' money this offseason. He's going to demand more carries. Eagles can't give that to him with Miles Sanders. I think he's going to go get a deal for another team that needs a starting running back. So Jordan Howard, I think, goes. Snell, yeah, Benny Snell Jr. in Pittsburgh. He's still under contract. There's no reason for the Steelers to get rid of him. I think when it comes down to if they get another back and somebody needs to be dropped or sent to the practice squad, it's going to be Benny Snell. But right now... He's still third string, fighting second string, not going anywhere yet. Could see him off the roster as we start getting into workouts before preseason. Boston Scott had a really nice end of the season right there. Kind of bounced around on the practice squad a little bit. Kind of solidified himself as a good complimentary back. So I could really see him kind of serving in a Darren Sproles type role next year and kind of being that complimentary back to Miles Sanders in the backfield. That's all I got here. You got one more? I got one more. I got Corey Clement. I think he's an unrestricted free agent this offseason. I do think he comes back maybe like a one-year minimum type deal. He was injured the last two years, so maybe kind of a prove-it deal, and he can kind of be that change of pace guy in the backfield of Scott and Sanders next year. And I think with that being said, that's stay or go for this week. Next week, we'll take a look at wide receivers and tight ends for the Eagles and Steelers. We're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to get a little dive into the Hall of Fame. Does Jeter get in? Any potential Phillies and Pirates? Getting in one day into the Hall of Fame, we'll talk a little bit about the cheating scandal. What would you do if your team was linked to a cheating scandal? You're listening to the SNS Show here on Com Radio. The Redskins defense just absolutely dominated. Defensive front has just been killing it. They've been killing the run game. They've been stopping the run game. A really great job. Make sure you all tune in to the Gridiron Girls Wednesdays from 6 to 7 here on Com Radio. Stronger, lion's pride, stand together, blue and white, lion's pride, show the world your Penn State side, lion's pride, you're living, you're loving, lion's pride. Lion's pride, locally owned and operated in downtown State College since 1976, offers everything Penn State for every Penn Stater. At Lion's pride, we are Penn State. You're listening to the SNS Show, presented by Lions Pride, here on Com Radio. Back inside Innovation Park Studios, it's the SNS Show here on Com Radio. Preston Shoemaker, alongside Jake Starr. Now, Jake, I know I'm supposed to be the Pittsburgh voice on this show, but as the great Billy Joel has said, 
I'm in a New York state of mind today. I can't. I, I can't change it. Derek Jeter, one of the greatest all time. I'm sorry, DJ Bauer, if this insults you out there. Top three shortstop of all time. One of the hardest working guys to ever go after it. One of the most deserving into the Hall of Fame. And in an hour and 12 minutes and 15 seconds and counting, Jeter's going to be put in the Hall. What it's, a, it's an awesome day. And the MLB Network doing a great job covering the Hall of Fame coming out tonight. And we're going to take a second here, talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame. But to get the Pittsburgh-Philly perspective on it, we're going to talk a little bit about some of those guys. But do, do you think Jeter gets unanimous in tonight? The second number two becomes number two into the Hall of Fame 100%? Obviously the only question at this point with Jeter is, does he does he get into the Hall of Fame unanimous, unanimous, unanimously? Thank you. That, that, that one took a little bit. Broadcast students over here. Anyway, I think he should. I mean, I think what we've seen so far from ballots released, he has been unanimous, correct? Yes. He's yes. 100% through 218 ballots released. The trend... Whatever percentage guys are trending, they're historically are going to go down a little bit because the guys that don't reveal their ballots are usually some of the stingier voters, some older vo- voters that want to keep the hall small. That's kind of the trend you see. So a lot of these stats are probably going to drop a little bit percentage-wise when they release these ballots here at 615. But as of now, Jeter's still at 100%. I thought by now we would probably would have heard somebody keeping him off, but still going. I think he gets in unanimously, and if he doesn't, then it's just some petty voters out there. There's no reason why Derek Jeter shouldn't get in unanimously unless, you know, you're a Padres fan, Mets fan, Phillies fan, you know, one of the teams <laughs> Red that— Red Sox fan. Red Sox fan, one of those teams that he beat, but there's no reason why he shouldn't be unanimous. So, obviously, there's some other questions now. Barry Bonds, Kurt Schilling, Walker, you know. I'm interested to kind of see who how it shapes out. There's a, a very well a possibility only one person gets in this year— also a possibility we see three or four. Preston, I know you have lot to, I know you had a lot to say on Twitter yesterday, kind of about your picks. Well, who are your picks specifically? I, I love diving into the Hall of Fame. I was there last summer when Rivera went in as a Yankees guy. That was really special. But the Hall of Fame itself is just a special place. I love taking a look at these resumes and I was very vocal on Twitter yesterday, just kind of talking about some of the guys. Here's where I said yesterday. I said Jeter gets in. I didn't think it was going to be unanimous. I want him to be unanimous. I think there's going to be one or two votes. But, you know, as we get closer to that time and more ballots are coming out and he's still at 100%, who knows? It would be great to see. I also think Larry Walker's getting in. His 10th year on the ballot, this is his last chance. He's gone from 34% to 55% in the last two years. I think he's got the numbers that he belongs there. Seven-time Gold Glove winner, five-time All-Star, three-time batting champ, the biggest diss on him is that he played so much of his career in Colorado where the air is thin, but just the same way that you can diss him for that, you can credit him for how hard it is to hit on the road when you leave a place like Chicago. The spin on the curve balls, they break so much more. It's harder to hit. He still gets it done. I think Walker gets in. He's going to benefit off of that 10th year back against the wall, kind of the same way that Edgar Martinez did last year. And... I saw a tweet earlier today from Jason Stark. Not sure if you saw this yet, but he basically he ran Walker's career numbers through the baseball reference stat neutralizer today. So basically he fi- filtered for a neutral National League park, so not Coors Field. Okay. And here's what he came up with. He slashed line 305 average, 390 on base, 547 slugging, 937 OPS, just 14 fewer hits and 11 fewer home runs. That's in a neutral park. And he says, get the picture, question mark. So 
Even those numbers are Hall of Fame worthy, so you have to hope the voters took that into consideration when making their votes. I think the voters are going to respect Walker tonight. I think he gets in, and rightfully so. So those are the two I thought were going to get in. I'm on the fence on a third, and that's Kurt Schilling. I thought, as of yesterday, Schilling is probably a Hall of Fame pitcher, but because of the character issues and because of the links to the performance-enhancing drugs, he'd fall just short this year. He'll be one year away. But from the way things are trending, you've not seen that slip yet in his percentage. It's, it's actually gone up a little bit. He's sitting up there in the 82, 81. I th- it might, be, might even be upper 70 percentile range. You need 75% to get in. I sent another tweet out today just before we came on the air, and it just said, Jason Stark, quote of the day, remember it's the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Twitter. And what it comes down to is, will these voters respect Schilling's numbers without looking at all of the character issues in the background? I think there's a good chance he might get in tonight. I think this could be Schilling's year. It could be those three, a smaller class, going in. But from the numbers that have already been released, here are the guys that are making big pushes. Bonds and Clemens are both going to be in a position where next year we can realistically ask the question, do we see them finally getting into the Hall of Fame? Where, where do you stand on that debate? I was always kind of not an anti-Bonds guy growing up, but he had the bad reputation, the steroid reputation. But, man, you pull up those – you look at baseball reference and you look at some of those numbers. Steroids or not, that dude was a freak of nature. Mm-hmm. Even before the steroids, this guy was There's getting a, you on talk base pirates 45% co- of the times and on the plate. You want to talk Pirates connection? There's a little bit of a Pirates there connection you for you. That guy, you just, just look at those stats. It's insane. And look, steroids or not, you know, you still got to hit the baseball. You know, you don't know what pitch is coming unless you're on the Houston Astros. But <laughs> I can sit here all day and talk Barry Bonds and his Hall of Fame case. I don't think him or Schilling get in this year. I think Jeter gets in. My gut tells me Walker just gets in, just gets over that threshold. I think Bonds and Schilling get in next year. But no, just clarify, Bonds and Schilling. What about Clemens? Or did you mean Bonds and Clemens? Bonds and Clemens. So you, where do you, do you think Schilling gets in tonight? You think Schilling joins him? Next I think year? Schilling's next year because Schilling, same thing. He's very polarizing. Yeah, very polarizing. That, that's why he lost his job with ESPN. And mm-hmm. I think, obviously, not that it's the right thing to do, but I think a lot of people kind of use that their personal background and kind of hold it against him rather than just how he played on the field. But now we talked about cheating and we talked about steroids and saying how steroids, you still got to hit the ball and you don't know what pitch is coming. Let's talk about a team that didn't know what pitch was coming. And that's the Houston Astros. We found out that they were using trash cans to signal what pitch was coming. And now we learned last week that some players might have had buzzers in their jersey. You look at Jose Altuve after the walk-off last year. Don't touch my jersey, guys. There's a reason why I didn't want to touch his jersey. And we ran a Twitter poll for our followers last night. How would you feel if your team participated in a a cheating scandal and won a championship? And 30% said at least we won. 70% of people said take away the title. So things are always easier said than done. And people's ethics are always a lot better when things are said. But I'm sure if you talk to a lot of Houston Astro fans right now, they don't want their title taken away. And I can guarantee you that. Here's... I've been back and forth on this topic since it came out last week. It just It's really disappointing for the sanctity of the game. You can't really change history. I don't think I'm for, let's start ripping titles away from teams, whether they cheated or not, because you're not going to give the Dodgers back-to-back World Series rings for the Astros and maybe Red Sox cheating scandals. So stripping the title, what's that? That... 
everybody knows what happened. It doesn't really change anything. You punish them in the term of, you know, they lost draft picks. They're getting fined. They lost their GM. They lost their manager. Now it's time to see whether players are going to start getting suspended. And if this buzzer thing comes out as, yeah, this is real, and Altuve wore a buzzer, and it did impact, it's so disappointing because Altuve is still a generational player. The guy's nuts, but he's forever going to be linked to did he do what he did because of the buzzer? Because the buzzer didn't help him to get to where he's at now entirely. It was definitely an aid. It definitely you never we're never gonna know how much it played into. And that's the disappointing part because he's always gonna be linked to that. Here's my question for you. We've talked last few days I've talked about a little bit on Pete Rose, Shoeless Joe Jackson. Jose Altuve's been wearing a buzzer. It's confirmed. The punishment comes out. Does he get the Pete Rose punishment? No, I don't think so. But I think he gets a year. But I feel like this is a, we don't have all we have a minute. We don't have all day here. But if I had all day, I could sit here and talk to you about Pete Rose all day because MLB is setting a precedent that if you don't if you don't ban Jose Altuve for life, why is Pete Rose banned for life? Why is Pete Rose out of the Hall of Fame? Pete Rose is the greatest hitter probably of all time. He had over four thousand hits, and you know how he you know when he signs autographs, he writes. Most hits all time, no steroids. Didn't use steroids, didn't use buzzers, didn't use trash cans. And he's not in the game for nothing that he did as a player, but what he did as a coach. Yes. He's not getting inducted as a coach into the Hall of Fame. He's not going into the Hall of Character. He's not going into the Hall of Sports Betting. It's the Baseball Hall of Fame for players who changed the game. And Pete Rose was that. And if you don't make a precedent and take a guy like Altuve and say, you cheated as a player to get numbers, including an MVP, we're suspending you for life. Goodbye. And if you don't do that, if Pete you don't Rose do that, back then, in this if game. you don't do that, then why is Pete Rose still the lifetime ban? It's not like Pete Rose is going to get unbanned and then put the jersey on and go bat clean up for the Reds. Yeah. Like he's not he's trying to get what he deserves and that is as a player get inducted into the Hall of Fame. I want to see that one day. I hope it does. I think if players are connected to the buzzer scandal that they should be suspended for life if they want to hold up on this Pete Rose standing. But I'm sure there's going to be more of this coming out. We're going to definitely talk about this more. But with that, we're going to cut away to another commercial break. When we come back, though, Penn State sports, basketball, trust the climb, hockey, what's going to happen this weekend? We're going to dive right through it right here on the SNS Show. The NHL is back, and the Sin Bin has you covered. Josh Starr, Eric Olson, and Kyle Canillo will cover all of the early season action in the National Hockey League. After the Capitals, there is no way to tell how the rest of this Metropolitan Division will unfold. Tune in to Com Radio every Monday night from 8 to 9 for the Sin Bin with Josh Starr, Eric Olson, and Kyle Canillo. Stronger, lion's pride, stand together, blue and white, lion's pride, show the world your Penn State side, lion's pride, you're living, you're loving, lion's pride. Lion's pride, locally owned and operated in downtown State College since 1976, offers everything Penn State for every Penn Stater. At Lion's pride, we are Penn State.
This is the SNS Show, presented by Lions Pride, here on Com Radio. One team in Penn State decided to climb this weekend. The other team decides to uh, have a little slip-up. Like those puns right there. Mm, little like slip-up on the ice. Climb. Penn State basketball. We're back here on the SNS Show. Almost, it is 5 o'clock here on the East Coast from the Innovation Park Studios. Jake Starr, Preston Shoemaker. Another reminder that today's show is brought to you by Lions Pride. Want to look like you belong on the sideline this season? You can when you shop through their Nike collection. Visit their downtown State College location at 112 East College Ave or shop online at lions-pride.com. So, let's start with the good. Let's talk Penn State basketball. Came into Saturday, losing three straight. Then they came out and just shot the lights out and sent the Ohio State Buckeyes back to Columbus without a top 25 ranking anymore. Penn State, it's, if I say correctly, their third top 25 victory of the season, Maryland, Iowa, and Ohio State. And it still puts them in good position. In both the Big Ten and for the NCAA tournament, obviously, you would have liked them to maybe pull out a win over Wisconsin or Minnesota leading into that Ohio State game. But it's still a really good win nonetheless, but it did come over a reeling Ohio State team. Well, look, the Big Ten this year has been by far, I think, the best basketball conference. And just the fact that going into that Ohio State game, there were 12 teams in the Big Ten ranked in the top 50 in the Kempom and Net rankings, and 11 of those 12, I believe, were either ranked or receiving votes in the AP poll. You see a team like Rutgers sneak into the poll this week at 24, a team that should have been getting a lot more respect sooner, and I'm happy to see them ranked. Penn State beats Ohio State and gets less votes in the AP poll this week than they did the week before. I'm not upset about it. And here's why. They didn't play great against Minnesota. They collapsed. And you have to link those two together. A big win and a big loss in one week sounds like a stale week to me. You kind of stay the same. Had they lost to Ohio State, Penn State would have been really falling down. So the team looked great on Saturday. They really went out there and played pretty much wire to wire, had the lead in that game. I think the difference was a couple of Ohio State leads less than 25 seconds early in the first half. I think this win says a lot more about Ohio State than it does about Penn State. Penn State comes out and beats an Ohio State team that has now lost four of their last five. Ohio State, who at one point in this year was number two, is no longer ranked and is receiving less and less votes by the week. I think that's why Penn State didn't shoot up the rankings like some fans thought they would. Like, why? They just beat Ohio State. Ohio State's not the same Ohio State they were months ago. and. You know, just beating Ohio State at home, the biggest thing for the Big Ten is winning at home. Home in the Big Ten, there's been six road wins in the Big Ten in conference play this what was year. It? Was it 40 and 6, I think, I th- the stat was? I think after Saturday it was 38 okay. and 6, I believe. Which is crazy. So, and we're continuing. Games have been going on. I don't have the stat in front of me. I don't want to say the wrong thing. But here's what I will say. Penn State, tomorrow, 7 o'clock, go into Ann Arbor. How big would it be for this team to pick up a really, really hard-to-get road win in the Big Ten in Michigan and continue to try to prove themselves? It's huge, and you're actually familiar with the confines of where Michigan plays. You were there this summer, but I think it would be huge. Obviously, look, I'm excited about this Penn State basketball team, what they have to offer. 
but I'm not buying in yet. You still you lost three in a row before you lost before you beat Ohio State. They 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 still have a lot left to prove. Obviously, look, Maryland, Iowa, Ohio State aren't what we thought they'd be, but the entire Big Ten, entire NCAA isn't what we thought to be. What was your tweet? Big Ten basketball and anomaly. I, I said Big Ten basketball and anomaly, Penn State basketball tournament team. And let me tell you why I'm still on the bus trusting Penn State basketball because we just said how competitive is this Big Ten? They lost to Rutgers. Rutgers is now ranked. They lost to Wisconsin. Wisconsin beat Maryland and Ohio State, just like Penn State did. They lost to Minnesota. Minnesota's got some big wins too. They're ten and seven. They beat Michigan. They beat them pretty badly, too. And they 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 competed against Michigan State. They competed against Purdue. The Big Ten is really good. I think a team with a losing conference record in the Big Ten can still be a bubble team in the tournament, depending on what they do in the conference tournament. Penn State is still in a prime position to play themselves into a middle seed in the tournament. I don't think that's the question right now. I think the question is, can they sustain it? Can they not fall off the cliff like they've done in the past? This is a different team than what we've seen in basketball-wise here in Happy Valley in the past. Pat Chambers' team is not just going to fall off the cliff, I don't think. I still trust the climb. I think this is a team that's poised for their first tournament bid under Pat Chambers, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Look, the goal is the NCAA tournament. I think anything less would be a colossal disappointment for this Penn State basketball team, and I think not making the NCAA tournament probably cost Pat Chambers his job. Obviously, look, the goal should be 500 in the Big Ten. I think a 500 Big Ten record, a win or two in the Big Ten tournament, probably gets you into the NCAA tournament. I know as of this week, Joe Lenardi had Penn State as a nine seed. So obviously... But he had him in Spokane, so let's get him over to, like, you know, Cleveland exactly. or Albany or something a little closer. Something a little That'd be closer. Great. So we can head over there. But I think, obviously, nine, you're starting to fall towards that bubble, that 11-12 bubble where you're that... Last four in, first four out. So if you're Penn State, you want to try to pick up a few wins and give yourself a bit of a buffer now because you had that buffer before. They already had them as high as a four seed a couple of weeks ago, and now they dropped all the way to a nine seed. So got to start putting some wins together. Maybe start winning three or four, four or five. Get a nice little three, four-game winning streak coming up, and maybe get yourself a little bit of a buffer. You know, you got Michigan tomorrow night. That could be a big win. You come back home next Wednesday against Indiana. That could be another big game. So... It's going to be interesting, and we talk about Michigan. Let's switch. Let's go across the street now to Pagula and talk about a hockey team that couldn't really fare well of a hot Michigan hockey team right now and Preston's new favorite sport. My new favorite sport, indeed. I'm a hockey guy now, in case you didn't know back home. I, a big, big hockey guy. Love the sport. We're going to be talking NHL on here by the end of the month, I feel like, if we continue with the trend that we're going. As long but, as we get some playoff runs out of the Flyers and Penguins. There you go. But uh, nonetheless, it was a... Hockey team that looked flat this weekend, especially Friday night. And this is coming from a guy who couldn't have told you what flat looked like on an ice rink two weeks ago. It was a 6 nothing loss. I was on the call for that one with Josh Starr. I might have called him Jake once or twice. Kind of tough. But nonetheless, they just did not look good in that one. And they come out Saturday, competed a lot better. But still, Michigan is one of the hottest teams in the Big Ten. They're surging. It was, it was a tough weekend for Penn State hockey, nonetheless. It was, and I think I'm a little worried, but Michigan was came in hot. Probably one of the hottest teams in the country. They jumped, I think, about 12 spots in the pairwise rankings this week, and Penn State fell from 6 to 9. So Penn State, just like the basketball team, starting to fall into that bubble a little bit. And they head over to East Lansing this weekend to take on a surprisingly good Michigan State team who has themselves sitting towards the top of the Big Ten standing. So 
I think if you're Penn State, if you can find a way to split this weekend, come back home in two weeks and find a way to sweep Notre Dame, who's a reeling hockey team, I think you can get some momentum. But obviously you're sitting in third in the Big Ten right now. You want to get top four so you can at least get a home series to start off the Big Ten tournament. Getting that one seat gets you a bye, and that's what they're shooting for. But they got to get hot soon if they want to make that happen. Well, look, Michigan State and Penn State have the same record. They have the same amount of points in the conference. I think Penn State's got the better team. Penn State's offense is better than Michigan State's. Penn State, 50 goals for this year, only 35 for Michigan State. Can Penn State go on the road and have that offense be successful and have the defense hold up? That's the question that you look into East Lansing this week. I think a split would be fine. You don't need – this isn't like a must-sweep series or Penn State's in trouble. A split would be okay, but you get swept and you look really bad doing it, then the flags need to start coming up. Hey, what's going on here? Got to turn it around soon or something really bad could come from it. If you get swept, the alarms need to go off. And I think if you can go in and split this weekend, you'll do fine. And with that being said, we're going to take our last time out of the afternoon. When we come back, we're going to make some game predictions. Penn State plays Michigan in basketball tomorrow night, and Penn State plays Michigan State in hockey this week. And we'll predict that and a lot more when the SNS show comes back right after this here on Com Radio. We are stronger, Lions pride. Stand together, blue and white. Lions pride, show the world your Penn State side. Lions pride, you're living, you're loving Lions pride. Lions pride, locally owned and operated in downtown State College since 1976, offers everything Penn State for every Penn Stater. At Lions pride, we are Penn State. Lions pride, you're living, you're loving Lions pride. Hey, sports fans, are you interested to see the bowl projections for Penn State football or how the MLB postseason might turn out in the coming weeks? Does the NHL start of the season get you jumping out of your seat? If so, tune in to Talk Time with Tom every Monday from 3 to 4 p.m. on Penn State's Calm Radio, Facebook, and Instagram Live. Because it's always talk time, bruh. You're listening to the SNS Show, presented by Lions Pride, here on Com Radio. It's time for game picks here on the SNS Show, brought to you by Lions Pride. Visit their downtown State College location at 112 East College Avenue, or shop online at lions-pride.com. Preston Shoemaker, Jake Starr, align me and Jake, our first game pick segment of 2020, we got some Penn State sports to dive into. Let's start Penn State basketball tomorrow on the road, Michigan, 7 o'clock. What do you see going on out there? They're not winning this game. I think they'll keep it close for a while, but their usual second-half cold spell, I think, will come in. I'm going to take Michigan in this one. Give me Michigan 76, Penn State 62. Michigan on a two-game losing skid. Penn State's going to make it three games. I'm going to take Penn State in this one. I'm ready to be hurt again, and I'm going to do it. Penn State wins this one on the road, a tight one. It's going to be, give me 64-59. to 59. Penn State pulls away with some free throws down the stretch, gets a really tough-to-get road win, and really solidifies that resume for them as they continue forward. Penn State hockey, East Lansing this weekend. Both teams going to Michigan. Coming off the sweep from Michigan, what does Penn State need to do this weekend? What do you see? I just want to say I'm going to be keeping track of these this semester. We have a nice little uh, friendly competition. <laughs> See who does the best in their game picks. But I'm going to go up a split. I think 
I mean, you need this split if you're Penn State. You can't afford to get swept. Or, the, as I said, the alarms are going to start going off. So I think this Penn State team is going to be motivated. They're going to come out Friday night, dominate their way to a win, let down themselves a little bit on Saturday night. But they're going to get themselves a split, come back home for the big white rush weekend, January 31st, February 1st, and find a way to sweep Notre Dame. But obviously we'll talk more about that series next week. So i got to split this weekend in East Lansing. Yeah, I agree with you, Jake. I thought there was going to be a split this weekend against Michigan and they couldn't hold on on Saturday. I think they go on the road. You leave that last series in the background. I think they come out strong Friday, get that first win. Saturday they come in. Might be a little slower. Michigan State's going to rebound. They're a, good, they're a good hockey team, so it's going to be interesting. I think they get the split here, though, and with that, they will come back for the Notre Dame series. It'll be a big one. And Speaking of big ones, yeah, go we ahead. got a big men's volleyball matchup this Friday at Red Claw. 10th-ranked Penn State. Welcomes in another top 10 team, UCLA, to rec call on Friday night, 7 o'clock. Yours truly, Jake Starr and Preston Shoemaker, will be on the call of that top 10 matchup. So to our listeners, to our watchers, to anyone listening that's on Spotify, be sure to tune in, 7 o'clock, PSUcomradio.com, or live on the Radio FX app to hear what might be the game of the season for Penn State men's volleyball. I'm expecting a five-setter and a great one at rec hall. Coming off of a big weekend last weekend, they got a tough come-from-behind 3-2 win against the number five team at the time in the nation. Now they're coming back home, top ten team. It's going to be a fun one here against UCLA. And excited to be on the call for that one. First men's volleyball match here at home this season, Friday Night 7. You don't want to miss that. And with that, I believe that wraps up our first edition of the SNS Show this year in 2020. Thank you to everybody listening out on Com Radio, the Radio FX app, as well on Facebook. And make sure you tune in on Spotify. You can get the link in our Twitter that is PSUSS show. And with that, let's celebrate the history of Derek Jeter. Great way to end the show. I'm Preston Shoemaker, Jake Starr along me. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week right here on the SNS show.